0: Welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm Jenny Gentles, your guest and an Independent Women's Forum senior fellow. On today's episode, Congressman John Molinaire joins us to talk about the benefits of educational freedom, how states and school districts are spending the $190 billion they received in federal emergency funding for education, and the intersection of parental rights and school choice. But before we bring him on a little bit more about the Congressman, Representative Molinaire represents the residents of Michigan's fourth congressional district. He's a member of the House Appropriations Committee and co-chair of the Congressional Caucus on Education, Innovation, and Opportunity, which is also known as the Congressional School Choice Caucus. Congressman Molinaire has worked as a chemist and a business development director, as well as a school administrator. He served in the Michigan House of Representatives and the Michigan Senate. Congressman Molinaire was born and raised in Midland, where he now lives with his wife, Amy, and together they have raised six children. Congressman Molinaire, welcome to She Thinks, and happy National School Choice Week.
1: Well, thank you, Jenny. It's great to be with you today, and uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and your listeners.
0: Well, I'm thankful that you're here this week. You introduced a National School Choice Week resolution in the United States House of Representatives this year. When announcing the resolution, you said parents are looking for schools that provide the environment and curriculum that is best for their children. The last two years in particular have shown how important it is for parents to be involved in their children's education, and I'm proud to stand with them in supporting the rights of parents and school choice for America's students. So let's start there. Tell us about the connection that you're seeing between parental rights and school choice.
1: Well, I think these last two years have really shown us the importance of parents being involved in their children's education and having these opportunities to make choices that are best for their children. And uh, I was a school administrator, as you pointed out. I always believed that parents were the primary educators of their children, and the schools are the resource that helps enable that to happen. And uh, I think now more than ever, Uh, parents are taking a leadership role and saying, what is best for my child and how can I pursue that? And school choice is really the most important thing we can do, educational freedom to help establish that throughout the country.
0: Definitely agree on that. How do you define school choice? I know some people think that school choice might just mean pulling the kids out and sending them to private school, but National School Choice Week is a a celebration of a, a broader definition of school choice.
1: You know, really, there are a variety of options. You know, today we have, you know, in-classroom learning, there's virtual learning, there are charter schools, there are traditional public schools, there's our private schools, people homeschool. It's really looking at each child and saying, what is the best way to have this child reach their full potential? And parents are in the best position to know that, and schools should be the resource that can help enable that to happen.
0: So have you observed support grow for school choice over the last two years? I know we've seen polls that have indicated uh, there's growing support across party lines, even parents from all kinds of different backgrounds. Is this something in conversations with your constituents and um, and what you're hearing from other members of Congress that you're observing as well?
1: I, I do. I, I sense there's tremendous energy behind this. And as parents have, first of all, you know, being online, seeing what their children are learning—that is a way to engage, and that hasn't happened in a long time. You know, it would—it's like being in the classroom and you actually see what's happening. And so, I think more and more parents are engaged, um, understanding what resources are available. Technology has made it so much more possible for parents to to identify areas and the best way that their students learn. So I do think there's a lot of energy behind this and a real opportunity to move the ball forward.
0: So members of Congress, like you, like many of your colleagues, are listening to parents as as they're expressing frustration about what they've seen as they've looked over their kids' shoulders while their kids have been home for remote instruction. Um, And I I believe that you all have probably been watching some of those viral videos uh, and other videos of parents expressing their frustration of what they've seen and expressing their frustration about how long schools were closed in some parts of the country. And uh, as a result, you all have introduced a parent's bill of rights. So it includes important acknowledgments of a power imbalance that exists between parents and bureaucrats and unions and politicians who defend the k-12 education system so for example there happened to be a politician in the state where i lived who suggested that parents shouldn't have a say in their in their kids education and we saw what happened um, after that i live in virginia by the way Um, so this parents bill of rights says that parents have a right to know what their children are being taught and that parents have a right to be heard so these are good goals um, but the, the bill of rights does not go that next step and then suggest, uh, that parents should have educational freedom or that they should have school choice. So what if the system doesn't respond to this federal bill of rights or similar ones being introduced at the state level? Shouldn't parents be empowered with education freedom at that point?
1: Absolutely. And, and some of this, you know, we can certainly, uh, advocate for this at the federal level, uh, strongly support and encourage school choice. And that's why we uh, introduced the school choice resolution. Um, At the same time, a lot of the leadership is going to need to happen at the state level because ultimately states really are in the lead role in education. And and so it's going to be important to work with state legislatures as well as governors to emphasize the importance of school choice. But you're right. I think When you consider that parents have had a a front row seat to their children's education to to see what is good about that and what's good about happening in the schools, as well as what is not. And, uh, you know, one example comes to mind where, you know, they were doing exercises in privilege and uh, considering that if you uh, grew up in a military family, you somehow were privileged, in my view, People who grow up in military families are making a tremendous sacrifice as a family and ought to be honored rather than ostracized. And so a lot of the divisive things that are happening uh, should not be happening. And parents have a role of stepping up and holding school districts accountable.
0: I think you make an important point that a lot of what happens in education happens at the state and local level, and a lot of what's happening in school choice policy is happening at the state level. So thankfully, close to 20 states expanded school choice programs that were in existence or introduced new school choice programs last year. They are calling 2021 the year of school choice. I think here at IWF, we're hopeful that 2022 will be the, the year of the parent and those school choice programs at the state level, um, as well as parental rights bills uh, leading to curriculum transparency and other things that that really empower parents uh, will happen, again, at the the state level. There are some things that you get done at the federal level on behalf of school choice and on behalf of um, empowering parents. You're a proponent for charter schools, and I recall watching a House Appropriations Subcommittee hearing in which you made a very clear case for protecting funding for the federal charter school program. So tell us about your support for charter schools and CSP funding.
1: Well, charter schools are an innovation that allow parents and communities to really, you know, shape children's education. They're public schools, which is often, uh, you know, people say that's private schools, but charter schools are public schools, and it's an innovation that offers more choices, opportunities uh, for families. And I've always believed that parental involvement is one of the key criteria that helps a student succeed. Uh, you look at all the other factors and they're important, but parental involvement is right there at the top. And so anytime you can have parents engaged in the children's education, um, you know, supporting the school, being involved, to me, that's really positive. And that was one of the things we saw with charter schools. And uh, it's, it's one innovation, there are many ways uh, innovative ways to help a child learn. But that's one that really uh, brings families uh, into the classroom and, and working together with educators to provide what is best for a child.
0: Right. And that federal charter school program provides startup funding for education entrepreneurs who are looking to create schools in their communities that can be responsive to parents and flexible and innovative and and respond to the needs of the children, uh, as you mentioned. Um, So thank you for your support for the federal charter school program. It's a growing over the years kind of program, but small when you compare it to the whole federal budget for for K-12 education. I think it's roughly $70 billion right now for K-12 education when you don't count emergency spending. from your vantage point as a as an appropriator, do you see these funds being invested wisely? Um, do you think that there are any opportunities for getting some of these federal funds directly into the hands of parents?
1: Well, I think you know I always support you know the funding following the child that really gives families the the power to choose where they want uh, to send their child and uh, to me that we ought to be growing in that area. Obviously, that's a negotiation that will happen in Congress as well as the state level. You know, states are the laboratories of democracy, and and that's where a lot of the innovation is going to occur. I think a lot of states are going to have ballot initiatives that try and promote more school choice, uh, more uh, opportunities for parents to select what is best for their child, because what we're talking about here is really helping young people reach their full potential. And we ought to all be on the same page working towards that, not simply trying to defend a status quo system. And uh, I hope that educators, parents, you know, different leaders and communities will come together around this concept. And school choice is a big part of that.
0: Absolutely. I think with again, the, the increase in the support for school choice across party lines from parents of all kinds of backgrounds. Uh, legislators are are hearing this increased demand for a more responsive system um, and for more innovation. And so we did have that great success at the state level in 2021 with the expansion of school choice programs and state legislators have been introducing all kinds of school choice bills in preparation for 2022 so good things do await um, in those laboratories of democracy as you as you called them fortunately some governors have been using the emergency federal education dollars that were sent down to the state level for um, innovation and to support school choice. But let's pause for a minute minute and acknowledge that over $190 billion have been sent to states and school districts for emergency K-12 funding since the pandemic began in in March 2020. Um, Some governors have used their, their funding um, to create, uh, some small school choice programs and, uh, other governors like Governor Doug Ducey have, have used additional emergency funding outside of the K-12 funding to create school choice programs. Um, he used a state and local funding pot from the, um, from ARP, American Rescue Plan, federal bill. Um, so, those laboratories of democracy are are in action even using these these federal funds but a lot of these federal funds and again it's 190 billion on top of the regular funding uh, we're not getting a sense that they're being spent very wisely do you have any concerns about that do you have any words of advice for states and school districts on on what they should be should be doing with the federal funds
1: well absolutely and as you point out you know in the first year those funds i think 6 billion of that you know, quote, emergency funding was used for educational purposes. You know, it may increase some in the next year in the mid 20s. So, it, this is going to stretch out over a period of years. Uh, you know, the idea was to keep children safe in the schools and healthy, as well as provide resources so that families could make sure that there were no gaps in the education of their children. And clearly, those funds were not used the way they were intended. And that was one of the concerns we had about the American Rescue Plan is uh, when you spend, you know, trillions of dollars and just shovel it out the door, um, you know, there's going to be waste, there's going to be inefficiencies, and uh, and clearly that's happened in the area of education. As you point out, though, there are opportunities now because of that funding for governors, state legislators, to be innovative on how to – you know, think of changes in technology and changes in policy to improve opportunities for children and families. And and hopefully that will occur on the state level. But you're right, as you know, in terms of accountability, there was very little with the American Rescue Plan.
0: Well, hopefully, parents can um, have access to information on how those funds are being spent. That certainly was built into the law as you all passed it, and um, and parents' voices will be heard on on that front as as well as some of these others that we've been talking about. I, as we wrap up, I just want to acknowledge that doesn't more than a dozen school choice bills have been introduced this Congress, and we know that none of them will go anywhere given the majority's opposition to to school choice. Uh, if if when republicans win the house and our senate um, do you think that do you think that they will make school choice a governing priority
1: i hope so i think you know there are areas obviously washington dc where we you know have federal authority and can kind of move the ball forward in that area we can also you know i'm on the appropriations committee and one of the key roles of appropriators is to hold the administration accountable, the education secretary, for instance, will have to come before our subcommittee and answer questions about how money is spent, what policies, you know, why, why did the school boards association target parents and want the FBI to be tracking parents coming to school board meetings? It's ridiculous and there needs to be accountability for that. So we'll have a role. I do anticipate uh, our leadership in the House, really um, holding people accountability for funding decisions as well as uh, accountability for improvements in education. Uh, But you're right, we'll still be working with a Democratic president who will oppose many of these efforts, and uh, so it'll take time. But I'm optimistic that we can really uh, shine a light on what's working and what isn't working and uh, help, again, move the ball forward for school choice in America.
0: Wonderful. Well, Representative John Molinaire from the great state of Michigan, again, happy National School Choice Week, and thank you for joining us on She Thinks today.
1: Thank you very much, Jenny. Great to be with you.
0: From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thank you for watching and listening.